Hello Chi Alpha, my name is Seth Collins and I'm one of the staff pastors with Chi Alpha at UNC. It's so good to be with you again um, through YouTube and in the podcast as well if you listen to this later. Uh, tonight we are continuing the Good and Beautiful God series that we've been going through this semester. And tonight we're going to be talking about God is Love. Um, I have a question for you. What do you think of the idea that God only loves us when we're good and that when we are bad or when we sin, God turns his back on us? It's a big question, I know. So I'll give you time to think about it with a story. Now, when I was in elementary school, my parents had made this deal with me when it came to grades. The better the grade, the better the reward. I remember when I was in second or third grade, for every 100 I got on my spelling test, my dad would take me to the video store to rent a game. Yeah, that's right. Think of it like going to a red box, but instead of red box, it's a whole store of games and movies. It was incredible. And I realized that yes, that's dating myself quite a bit. However, when I got older, my A's that I earned turned into cash in my wallet that my parents gave me. Now this kind of reinforced behavior that played into other areas of my life as well. Running races and track became all about crossing the finish line first. If I came in seconds, my teammates gave me some congratulatory remarks and even my mom said some, some good things about my race. But if I placed first in my races, my dad was singing praises and my teammates were giving me the fist bump. Um, the words of the the wise patron saint of NASCAR, Ricky Bobby, would echo through my mind. If you ain't first, you're last. We've all been there, haven't we? Reinforcement of good behavior and some form of punishment for bad behavior. We see this in our workplaces, in our classes, and even in our homes. I caught myself doing this the other day when I was playing with my 14-month-old son, Micah, and his blocks. He has one of these toys right here where you can put in different shaped blocks um, corresponding with different holes. And I would encourage him and say, you know, great job, Micah, way to go, every time he got a block into one of those, those holes. And if he managed to barely get a block in but it fell out, I would say something along the lines of like, almost, keep trying, buddy, you'll get there. I want him to learn and grow and not give up, but in doing so, I am sometimes unknowingly reinforcing this rewards system behavior, only giving him praises when he does something right and not when he almost does something right. Now this idea that God only loves us when we do good and even great things and turns his back on us when we do bad, terrible things is pervasive in our culture. But here's the thing about that. We actually like that because this provides some sort of sense of control in our chaotic world. We run through our checklists on a regular basis without even thinking about our relationship with God. Have I prayed today? Have I read my Bible? Have I listened to worship music today? Check, check, check. God must love me. Now, consequently, if I don't do those things, then God must not like me very much. He may even hate me. And what if I do the right things and my friend does all the wrong things? Does God love me more than them? What if we didn't have to actually wonder about those deep questions? What if Jesus actually shows us how God 
actually responds to these questions and Jesus shows us what God's character is actually like. The good news is, is that he actually does. Luke gives us an account in his gospel and there's one particular story I want us to look at in chapter 15 of Luke's gospel. Now at the beginning of this chapter we read this, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Now the muttering of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law inspired three parables or stories that Jesus tells in Luke chapter 15. And we're going to be looking at the last story tonight known as the parable of the lost or prodigal son. And so in Luke chapter 15 verses 11 through 32 it reads like this. Now there was a man who had two sons and the younger one said to his father, Father give me my share of the estate. And so he divided his property between his two sons. Not long after that, the younger son got together all that he had and set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth in wild living. And after he spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country and he began to be in need. And so he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. And he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one would give him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And so he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to his son and he threw his arms around him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And so they began to celebrate. And meanwhile, the older son was in the field. And when he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of his servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother's come home, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. And so his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never even gave me one young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fat calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Now there are three characters in the story uh, that I want us to look at. Uh, the younger son, the father, and the older son. Now the younger son, he's a bit of a punk, okay? Uh, because of his demand for his share of the inheritance, which you didn't do back then. Um, and once he gets all that inheritance, he sells it off and spends all that money in wild living. Wild living, what we know of is that um, the older son said that he squandered it on prostitutes. So that, to me, that counts as wild living. Um, the younger son's also faced with famine and can't take care of himself. And he thinks he can go back as a hired hand to his father and be taken care of, trying to earn his way back into the family because what right father would take his son back um, based on what he has done? 
but instead he's restored and there's a party for him. The second character is the father. Now, the father loves his sons by dividing the inheritance among them. And he goes about his business as usual when the younger son leaves, but we know that he probably misses him very dearly. The father also has the chance to actually execute justice on the younger son when he returns by having him stoned even to the point of death, but instead runs out to embrace him. This is not very typical of what fathers would do to this type of uh, child back in, back in Jesus' day. The father also takes the time and the effort to organize the party. And the father also patiently loves the older son. Now the older son, the last character in the story, has worked years for his father, following the rules and never getting out of line at all. He resents his younger brother, won't even refer to him as, a, as his younger brother when he's talking to his father. Um, instead, he calls him this son of yours. And he has to be taught that dead to life, lost then found people are celebrated and not punished. Now that we've looked at each character of this story, is there someone you identify with more than the others? For the moment, put yourself in the lost son's shoes. You had your wild living and you had your fun. Famine comes out of nowhere, you didn't plan for it, and you're dead broke already. You're so desperate that you're willing to eat scraps. But you come to your senses and think you'll go back home, but not as a member of the family. Because why would your parents want to see you like that after what you've done? And so what you do is you stay up all night working on a speech that you're going to tell your dad when you see him, hoping and praying that he'll accept you when you come back and that you'll have a place to stay. You'll have your old room back. A kind stranger who sees you down on your luck offers to help you and you request that they schedule an Uber to come pick you up the following morning to take you home. And so the next morning you get up, you haven't slept much, your stomach is rumbling, and with empty pockets and an empty stomach, you climb in the Uber and you make the long ride home, falling in and out of sleep, half mumbling your speech to yourself. Um, the driver wakes you up, announcing that you'll be at your home in five minutes. Anxiety begins to well up in your chest like a balloon. The familiarity of your town is all around you. It's almost like you've never even left. That is, until the driver opens the door and le lets you go back home on the long stretch of road that you have before you. The fare is paid and you begin walking back, rehearsing over and over in your mind, Dad, I've sinned against God. I've sinned before you. And you strain your eyes as you look down the road toward your house. And you can tell that someone's just gotten up from the porch and it's still far off and you can't tell exactly who it is. But they begin stepping off the porch looking at you from the distance. Who could it be? The dot of a person from the house begins forming into a figure as they break into a stride, no longer walking but running toward you now. And you hear a faint yell that sounds almost like your name. Dad, I've sinned against God. I've sinned before you. You begin repeating your speech to yourself over and over, clearing the lumps in your throat. And as the figure gets closer and closer to you, you realize it's your dad running toward you. You begin breaking into a, a bit of a jog too, half scared and half relieved. Soon you're both face to face. For a second, you berate yourself internally, saying what a mistake this was and the consequences are gonna be so bad. You shouldn't have even come back home. 
But before you can even jump to further conclusions, dad throws his arms around you and gives you a true dad hug. You know the kind of hug that I'm talking about. And you suddenly remember your speech and you start off, dad, I've sinned against God, I've sinned before you, and before you can get even any more words out, he's calling out to the neighbors and to the others back home announcing your, your arrival. But you're thinking to yourself, I've got this speech. I worked all night on it. He's got to hear it. He's got to know that I'm trying my best to get back into his good graces. But instead, what you're hearing your dad say is, we're having a party tonight. Look who's home. Next thing you know, you're walking through the front door and a clean set of clothes are brought out by your mom. She's been waiting for you to come back home too. The family ring is placed on your finger, slippers on your feet, and your spot on the couch is cleared away for you to reclaim. Mom gives you a big long hug and kisses you on the forehead. And she gets her phone out and begins calling the local restaurants, putting in catering orders for the party later tonight. All of this because dad has restored you, but you didn't do anything to deserve it. You didn't even do anything good to deserve it. In fact, you did the opposite of good, and yet you are back in the family again. Here's what I want you to grasp tonight through all this. There are no rules in how far God's love will go to find you and bring you home. There are no rules in how far God's love will go to find you and bring you home. Tonight for us, how might we live differently if we let that truth sink in? To know that God loves both you and me unconditionally. It would free us from thinking that our rule-following work will earn us God's paycheck of love. It would cause us to want to spend more time with God rather than thinking that we have to spend more time with God. I also believe we would want to share this freedom with people we are in relationship with. Our friends, our family, our co-workers. And here's the thing. There are people out there who are waiting to come home. They just need an encouraging word and someone to help get them there. And so tonight I have two questions for us. Have you found your way back home yet, embraced by the love of God? If so, who did you pass along the way that needs help getting back? Those two questions again. Have you found your way back home yet? embraced by the love of God? And if so, who did you pass along the way that needs help getting back? Let's pray. God, thank you that you allow us to um, come before you and that you love us just as we are, that even in all of our sin and even all of our mess and even in all of our brokenness, you still love us. We don't have to um, do certain things or um, trying to earn your love or earn your favor in any certain way, Lord. We just have to come to a place of brokenness and repentance and know that um, your love, Jesus, is enough for us. And so I pray all of that for um, each person watching and listening tonight. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.